0: Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Weekly Report dated July 9, 2021. I'm Phil Adler. Economic data released recently by the federal government offer fresh clues about whether damaging long-term inflation is a likely possibility. Confluence Investment Management Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady joins us today to look at the numbers. Bill, what is this data that you're highlighting today?
1: Well, a couple of weeks ago, we discussed the recently released financial accounts of the United States, otherwise known by its former name, the flow of funds data. This data produced by the Federal Reserve is a balance sheet for various sectors of the economy. Now, a few years ago, the Fed introduced another element of this data called the Distributional Financial Accounts. This is a related data series that breaks down the household balance sheets among the top 1%, the next 9%, the middle percent, which is 89% to 51%, and the bottom 50%. For simplification, we aggregate the top 1% and 9% to create three groups, the top 10%, the middle 40 and the bottom 50 What this data tells us is where the households are holding their assets. There is evidence that the three groups spend and invest differently. And so the flows to each group can give us insights into how markets might behave.
0: So, looking at the numbers, we see the top 10% of households by income group hold an average of $877,000 in cash investments. That compares to 104000 for the middle 40% and an average of only $9,000 in cash savings for the bottom 50%. Now, I know that we're focusing on how this money now resting in savings might impact future inflation, but that aside, the difference between the income groups seems to be extremely large. Are the disparities at an historic high?
1: Well, they are. Given the caveat that this data series isn't very long, it it only starts in 1989.
0: And uh, how do these totals, Bill, compare to pre-pandemic times?
1: Well, all three groups have seen their cash levels rise. The combination of government transfer payments and the impact of lockdowns on spending have led to an enormous rise in cash holding.
0: Well, government stimulus has been enormous since the pandemic began, but it appears that the higher income households wound up holding most of the government stimulus money. How did this happen?
1: We would be a little uncomfortable making that connection. Clearly, the government capped the payments to prevent the highest income groups from receiving transfers. Instead, we suspect that a series of events led to the rise in cash. First, upper income brackets are populated by people who work in the part of the economy that can work from home. We note that average wage growth during the pandemic jumped when the lockdowns occurred. That's because lower income groups were laid off, but the higher income groups continued to work. Second, the top 10% were also affected by the lack of things to buy in the lockdown. The usual services that the rich procure, such as home cleaning services, eating out, and such things as that were unavailable. So their savings rose. And finally, we suspect they were just as worried about the future as anyone else, and thus their precautionary savings rose too.
0: Do net worth totals divided by income groups show a trajectory similar to cash holdings?
1: It did. And in fact, it was even more extreme. Financial asset prices rose strongly as the Fed backstopped the financial markets. And since the top 10% have their wealth concentrated in equities and fixed income, their net worth soared. But we should mention that the rise in home prices lifted the net worth of the bottom 50 as well. The middle 40% have less equities than the top 10, but they do hold some. And so this group enjoyed an increase too.
0: Inflation can occur when consumers chase prices of goods upward in times of shortages. What does the data we're looking at today imply about inflation?
1: Well, this is why we think inflation will will likely be transitory. There is simply too much cash concentrated in the top 10% of households to lead to sustained higher prices. We note that inflation hedges, such as gold and Bitcoin did really well over the past year, which likely reflects the inflation fears among the top 10%. One other item I would note is that early in my career, I was a country risk analyst for a bank. I studied the economies of Eastern Europe and South and Central America, where the bank had lent money. Several of these economies experienced bouts of hyperinflation, and during those events, the rich didn't go out and hoard things. They protected their purchasing power by holding foreign currencies and gold. It is only the lower income groups that hoard, and thus when they buy things, it tends to be inflationary.
0: And you say the bottom 50% of income groups has been using assets to pay down debt rather than purchase goods, and this is not an inflationary trend. At what point will the bottom 50% feel comfortable enough about their debt levels to once again spend on products?
1: Well, you know, that is the great unknown. In fact, we never know for sure. But the ratio of liabilities to cash show that the bottom 50% levered up during the early part of the century until the great financial crisis. Since then, though, they have been steadily deleveraging. The best guess I can offer is to compare to history, and we are currently at a level consistent with the period before the liftoff. But... We would also note that we saw another leveraging period in the early 90s into 1995. We suspect that period was triggered by the deregulation of consumer finance and the slow recovery from the 1991 recession. That was a period where I know in my household we would get multiple credit card offers daily. If we go back to the early 1990s level of leverage, we still have more deleveraging to go. Our suspicion is that the turmoil of the past 15 years will probably lead to less borrowing, and thus we would expect that a return to leverage isn't coming anytime soon.
0: And how about the higher income groups? Do you see a future where these groups will spend on products to an extent that would drive up inflation?
1: Well, they could, but the inflation won't be in food and energy, which is the most politically potent. Their buying tends to be in consumer durables and higher-level services, such as air travel.
0: We've heard some Fed officials suggest that we may be closer to the time when interest rates need to go up to prevent inflation. Surely, Fed officials are aware of the data that we've reviewed today, and and they know about the current spending patterns we've identified. They know they're anti-inflationary. What is fueling their concern?
1: Well, that's a topic for a much broader investigation. I spent a few days looking at the history of voting patterns among the members of the Federal Open Market Committee. Dissension used to be much more common and has risen in periods of uncertainty. My take on their comments is that old habits die hard. The members that came of age when inflation suppression was the primary focus of the Fed, and although they heard the Chair Powell say that the focus was now shifting to the labor mandate, at the first whiff of inflation, they fell back into their old patterns. There is no doubt that inflation has lifted and will persist for the next six to nine months. But it's also clear that we're nowhere near normal in the labor markets either. So it seems to me to be premature to be considering withdrawing stimulus. At the same time, we are seeing something that we discussed before. The Fed is facing the classic Tinbergen problem. It has two policy problems, underutilized labor markets and rising prices, and it's only got one policy tool. It's going to have to choose which problem it is going to address.
0: Bill, fears of future inflation aside, major stock indexes continued to set records with only minor pauses as we entered the second half of the calendar year. What are the financial markets telling us about inflation expectations? Well,
1: financial markets are remarkably sanguine about inflation fears. Long duration bond yields have fallen and stabilized off their highs, and recently growth stocks, which tend to also be long duration, have outperformed value stocks, which tend to do better during periods of higher growth. The financial markets actually seem to be projecting a growth slowdown. That isn't likely to occur in the next quarter or two, but we do look for a rapid deceleration in the economy in
0: 2022. Finally, you've been consistent in your projection that current short term inflationary pressures are mostly temporary. What would change your mind?
1: Well, the key issue is psychological. We think you need to see three changes to make inflation a more persistent problem. The first is you need to see less inequality. You need to see more money in the hands of the bottom 50 for inflation to rise. Second, you need a change in psychology. You need households and businesses to assume that prices will be materially higher in the future, and thus there is an impetus to buy now rather than wait. This condition allows firms to raise prices more easily. And third, you need to see a change in firms' balance sheets. Firms need to move from just-in-time inventories to just-in-case inventories. In other words, there has to be more comfort in holding larger inventory levels due to the uncertainty of supply, and this uh, higher level of stockpile supports higher prices. Thus far, the only area we are seeing these longer-term inflation issues develop is in the last one, the third point, and that is most bullish for commodity prices.
0: Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. And this information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.